This is Marriage Grit, robust, real marriage talk with Jason and Emma Schroeder. Hi, and welcome to Marriage Grit. Grit, by definition, is courage, passion, resolve, and strength of character. We're excited to stand with you as together we build these sorts of marriages. This is what we believe a Jesus gives life to the full marriage looks like. And so today we have part two of our interviews with Rochelle Masters. I'd encourage you to jump on and listen to uh, part one that was last month of this interview. And so Rochelle is the Principal Clinical Psychologist and Director of Masters Psychology here in Perth, Western Australia. And we are loving the insight that she is providing in this mental health space in regards to flourishing relationships in 2021. Yeah. Absolutely. And let's dive right in. Okay, here I am. So, Rochelle, in our preference-driven world where we we carry this uh, kind of expectation of Mm. having our preferences met, maybe subconsciously, uh, do we expect too much from our spouse? Mm, Very good question. (laughs) There is a drive to be productive, in our society mm. and where there is maybe a self or societal pressure to be productive, especially with the increased time we had at home during COVID, that was a big thing. People sort of had this increased time at home and there was still the drive to be productive. It was really strange. But the question that we need to ask ourselves is, is it reasonable to be productive when we are in a crisis or a health crisis? Even if I think about this year, the fires followed by the lockdown, the you know we have had a really interesting start in even in our city of Perth, and the question is, is it reasonable to be productive? Uh, it is important to understand that the lack of focus or concentration or overwhelming feelings are common during crisis, and you know what we say in psychology land is we have to display self compassion for the lack of productivity, perhaps. Um, Most of us are temporarily housed in this um, predominance of needing physiological and psychological safety in a time crisis. So I'll say that again. When there is crisis, uncertainty, you know, you've had a start to the year that we've had, uh, people need physiological and psychological safety. And mentally strong people realise that when their physiological and safety needs feel threatened, such as during a pandemic or fires, whatever it might be, they don't put pressure on themselves to produce or achieve. I do think we have a, a bit of a struggle with that. Yeah. yeah. Wow. But that is really important. So then bringing that into a marriage context. Mm-hmm. So. We can't take all the pressure off ourselves to just like loosely flop around in the marriage and you just have to put up with me. I'm a terrible version of myself, bad luck. Mm -hmm. But then we can't expect us to produce it at our top level. The drives, yeah. Yeah, that's right. There's Mm -hmm. a space in the middle, I guess, Mm -hmm. that's healthy, right? That's exactly right. And and that's a self-compassion space. You know, you're going to extend those values to the people around you. And I guess to to get quite practical, 
in those moments, uh, some of the things that the research has said is that families that continue with prayer or meditation or devotional practices, for example, um, and they're not the only practices, but particularly in this landscape, families that do continue with prayer, meditation, devotional practices, um, they, they'll see a re- reduction in anxiety, reduction in stress, They'll see an increased attention span, decrease of depressive features, uh, improved emotional health and well-being. So studies have found that long-term mediators are able to return to people that are, they, people are able to return to their baseline quicker with these practices. So you know that is a state of calming yourself. What is it? A little bit nerdy perhaps is when people are, you know, faced with adversity, it hits their brainstem first actually. So that's the base of their brain where, you know, the primitive brain we call it, where we sort of have this, you know, fight-flight response. Mm. It's the part of us that just reacts and responds. And we really do need time for processing, processing what's going on, processing what's happening to us. And so to have some of those prayer or meditative practices, devotional practices are really important to um, address the stressful stimuli, I suppose you would say. And so, you know, the research then talks about um, the practice of mindfulness because it, it really facilitates awareness of our thoughts, emotions and sensations, allowing for their differentiation allowing for coping strategies to be more easily recognised, targeted, flexible. And this is research. This is just what the research says. So because mindfulness practices mitigate against these negative emotions, people actually find that they can make meaning of difficult circumstances a bit easier um, and they can reflect and they can they can develop their values-based goals. Mm. So values-based goals is really something that's become important mm. throughout this last 12 months. So mm. what you're sort of saying there in that, that space, Rochelle, is that in, in this sense of sort of crisis and, and what has been a really complex now, really 18 months, we're often looking to our spouse to try and solve some things, expecting that they will kind of come in and, and save in many ways a lot of what, that crisis is creating in us, but you're kind of highlighting the need for us to look inward to actually know our own measures and and checks and routines and rhythms. Mm. So for people that that is kind of a a new or a foreign space that Mm. maybe don't necessarily look that inward or have those heightened levels of self-awareness, how do we get to that place where rather than looking at our spouse to solve, we're actually looking inward in some ways? How can we start that process? How can we work at that process, grow in that process? I think self-awareness is a huge thing and uh, we don't always know how to become more self-aware and it's not as complicated as it seems. It's actually just taking the time though and the space to pace ourselves differently Okay. And to really connect with ourselves in ways that we don't we don't normally do otherwise. And sometimes that's just walking, just going for a walk. You know, as simple as that. It doesn't have to be a power walk. It doesn't have to be on an app. It just, 
you know, I spin around the block and really just stepping back into your own spirit mm. and self and taking time to observe and take a step back and then move or proceed according to your values, your intentions, you know, right. things that you prefer to do. Um, and in that, I want to just make a mention of something in relationships, I suppose, that's become really important. And this is this concept of balancing closeness with autonomy mm. uh, to be in unity. And so healthy relationships balance this closeness with autonomy to remain in unity. And that is we, we all have different needs with regard to how much unity or togetherness we can tolerate and feel comfortable with, but also how much autonomy or alone time we need in order to feel relaxed and happy. So we're all a bit different, but we need to learn the dance between autonomy and closeness. And we need to be in unity in order to build intimacy, good communication, um, and we need autonomy in order to maintain our sense of self, to rejuvenate and to practice some of those other important skills like self-awareness. So what do you think about that? Yeah. Balancing That's closeness it. with autonomy. Well, I love dancing. So, uh, <laughs> he really does not. Uh, I think I think that's a really interesting space because, again, sort of the lockdown season, or and even now in the aftermath of that, and us not being able to travel and and not have the same sort of rhythms and routines a lot of couples did. It's I've had many conversations, even with my own spouse, about the fact that he's around so much, and I feel mm. like I should love that. I feel like that should be a wonderful thing. And and I've actually recognised in myself that I'm not as quality time as I thought. I thought I was a quality mm-hmm. time person. I'm now like, I've had too much quality <laughs> yeah, time. Um, less so, dancing. Less yeah. dancing. So it does, bringing that out to the open and, and recognising that and then having discussions about that so that, your other, so that your partner's not offended, That's I right. think is really important, right? Oh, absolutely. And how much closeness you're comfortable with depends on your upbringing. The important mm. thing to remember is that all of us have needs for both closeness and alone time. So if you've come from a background where you developed an ease for being by yourself, your learning edge may be to cultivate that same ease for being with people. Wow. Um, if you are by nature comfortable with closeness, your learning edge may be to get comfortable just, just by being by yourself or with your own company or taking that time out. So the balance is necessary and comes with greater ease if you've had good working models of attachment growing up. Mm. And there are practical ways to cultivate these two aspects so that marriages can be in unity because resentment can build up if one or both partners feel an uncomfortable shift in the balance of how much closeness or autonomy there is in a relationship. That's right. Mm. And it's easy to then get when when you're carrying pressure mm. from life and and feeling burdened then uh, it's felt even for us personally it's felt easier to be annoyed at the other Absolutely. and carry that in and so so it's just been so helpful for us to to have those relentless conversations um 
and we like call it that. a same page conversation. Yeah. We need to get on the same page. Babe, so good. Because yeah. uh, sometimes we're not we, even in the same book. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How can that's we do exactly this better? Right. Yeah. Uh, closeness and autonomy. Mm-hmm. That's good. That's a good dance there. Mm. And I love that thought. Uh, we've really been trying to help our people with with taking time to Psalm 1 talks about meditating in the word and taking time to go slow and to be in tune with what's happening inside of us and ultimately then where it's not just about us but it's allowing God to come and and move and help and encourage and and shape. Uh, We need to be able to know, like you say, how to go slow so that we can have that, that work relentlessly happening in us to then bring that into our marriage. So that kind of segues into, into our next question. So some practical tips, Rochelle, you're dealing with people every day. Um, so how do we keep working on ourselves to then, you know, see, see the results of that in our, in our relationship, in our coming together of, of two people who are called to be one? Yeah, it's a, it's an important question. And one of the things in, psychology land, I'm going to call it again, <laughs> is that we we look at people's schemas, actually. So that's a psych term. Hope you don't mind me using it. Oh, we really like the psych terms. <laughs> schemas are, I guess, stable in, and enduring patterns of how we see the world and how we've developed our worldview. If you like, it's it's like the software we've downloaded onto this powerful computer we have which is the brain and the nervous system and we've usually downloaded these in childhood and we've given them upgrades through our adolescent and even our adult years if you if I could use that analogy and schemas we accept without question and often we're not even aware of them uh, these these sort of worldviews or patterns in the way that we see the world and we think uh, they're resistant to change And they are usually formed when our needs are not met, you know, in previous and earlier experiences. So, unfortunately, they're usually triggered by or activated, we call it in psychology, in relationship. So we can have some problematic schemas, patterns of thinking and seeing the world. And it'll be in relationship that, that, you know, really presses our buttons. <laughs> so, wow. you know. It makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Mm. So it's this thing of really working out, you know, you can do your own therapy and really understanding what your schemas are and how you can change patterns because they are changeable, but you need to do that work yourself to change them instead of looking to the other to try and modify those things for you. Mm. Right. Um, but often we're not aware of them, so we have to become aware of them first. And, you know, all the things that we've talked about. So, so I guess in a relationship, you know, really observing the intensity that's happening in a relationship and whether there's a need for the, the closeness or the, or the autonomy and making adjustments there. So working on, on yourself, actually looking at your relationship and the intensity, you know, having those good conversations, but getting help if you need help in those domains. You don't have to have a mental health issue to really resource yourself in this area. And I, in fact, I think one of the biggest problems that I come up against is a lack of education 
Um, and someone said to me, you know, well, is it stigma? You know, why aren't we getting, why aren't we digging into this and why aren't we getting the help that we need? Uh, there's lots of reasons for that. Um, yes, it's stigma, but I just see that as a lack of education. You know, we haven't really grown up with the education that's readily available to us now. But what's hard about what's available to us now is that we don't know how to apply it and how to right. use it specific to our circumstance. So, as I said, it's a complex sport sometimes, but it doesn't need to be. And you can resource yourself um, to develop your self-awareness, but also to just some really good relational communicative patterns, understanding some simple concepts that can really help. And I would also say developing resilience is really important. And perhaps you've had lots of conversations before. Sometimes uh, resilience could be a bit of a buzzword, but it is really, there's some strategies, I think even in parenting and even uh, in relationships that you can use to develop resilience. Um if you want me to talk about them, I can. Yeah. 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 That'd be all right. Give us, yeah. a, give us yeah, some, give some, some thoughts maybe there, Rochelle. There's some, there's some six or seven things. Uh, so you've got to be able to make connections and build your social support network. We've talked about that. Resilience means connectedness. Great. So we can tick that box. Um, avoiding the tendency to view crisis as insurmountable. Mm. So there's like a hardiness that needs to come into our relationships, into our parenting We've got to start that with ourselves first. Uh, accepting that change is a natural and unavoidable part of life. So it's got to be a lot of acceptance. Acceptance in the self and then extending that to the others um, around you, working towards your realistic goals, a sense of coherence. We've talked about that today. Taking decisive actions that will help you face your challenges. So you really have to, you know, like short-term goals. Yeah. Now those goals, sense of mastery, I suppose, looking for opportunities for self-discovery, being resourceful, uh, nurturing a positive view of yourself and your abilities, you know, just that self-efficacy, mm. which you don't, can't cultivate. I wish it was purchasable. I wish we could just walk into the IGA <laughs> and still go, let me get some self-esteem yes. or efficacy and just consume that. And that something grows. Like a vitamin C. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> wow. You know, that takes time to develop those things, you know, and just keeping things in perspective with gratitude, hope, optimism, you know, maintaining that hopeful outlook on life and taking care of yourself with the self-care, mm. the basics, mm. sleep, good nutrition, movement, you know, those sorts of things. They're so important and they are important to a relationship and to parenting, not just to ourselves as individuals, but it usually starts with us as yes. individuals, doesn't it? So, yeah, they're, they're probably some of my practical yeah, well, tips. Yes. Mm. That is a brilliant list there, probably yeah. worth re-listening to and, and actually making some notes for our listeners. Yeah, it's hours of thought to follow through on each of those. Uh, you could deep dive in those. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So just as we wrap this together, mm -hmm. uh, Rochelle, so anything else you'd like to add to the conversation? If we have listeners who are, you know, great people just mm. wanting to build a better marriage together. Final words. Yeah. You know what? To have those robust conversations and look for the, the hot spots in a relationship where there's intensity and work out together 
whether it's something that needs some personal or individual work or whether it's something that you can master together. Mm. Um, But even if you need to extend that into, you know, who you're connecting with and pull in people that are doing life like you're doing life and resource yourself. There are a lot of brilliant resources out there and certainly if listeners want to connect with us and ask where do we get some good parenting or some good marriage websites, resources, there's some great resources available out there. And then it's about just understanding how to apply them to your own life and some people need help with that. So they can certainly access therapy in which to do that. You know, with COVID, uh, the Mental Health Commission at the instruction of the Australian government has given people now 20 sessions in a calendar year. Wow. It used to be 10. Mm. And so people can get 20 sessions if they have an area that needs focus resourcing. It has to be approved and appraised by the GP and there's some steps to follow with that, um, which you guys know about. So people could always ask you about those mm. things. So, For sure. Yeah. So I would say they're probably my final tips coming from a therapist. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Well, it's been so great having you with us. So rich. Yes. So Beautiful. if you did, if you missed part one, make sure you go back and check that out. Good mm. people. And uh, again, thank you so much, Rochelle. And, and uh, thank you for all you do for our city and beyond. Yes. Um, sure. And a pleasure uh, to partner with you. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Thanks. Good people. Great to have you with us. We'll be back for episode three next month. Remember, we didn't sign up for easy, we signed up for gritty because our world needs robust, healthy marriages. Mistakes and mess are inevitable, so let's stay committed to tenacious growth together. We believe in you. We are praying for you. It's so worth it. Thank you for joining us at the Marriage Grit Podcast. If you'd like to connect further, go to our Marriage Grit Facebook page or email us at marriagegrit at c3hh.com.au.